Hey, everybody, and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the Fangirl Radio Show. I'm your host, Jessica Dwyer, and with me is my lovely and talented co-host with the most, Mr. Eric Smith. Hello, everyone. So this week, um, we start off with uh, some sad news in the world of entertainment and the ongoing battle that the year 2016 seems to have with everyone I like. And that is with the passing of Alan Thicke. Um, Alan Thicke died yesterday as of this recording at the young, relatively young age of 69 years old. Mm. And um, it was quite a shock and very sad. And um, even sadder in the, in the instance of, of how he died, which was he was playing hockey with his son and had a massive heart attack. Wow. Um, so it's very sad and, and, a loss because no one really realized I, I you know I didn't realize until I really thought about it how long Alan Thicke had been around in terms of just in everything like he wrote this I think it was he wrote the theme song to different strokes he wrote the theme song to facts of life um, yeah he wrote a lot of theme songs he was in a lot of I just recently saw him on uh, married with children yeah he kept show he showed up in a lot of television and of course Friends of the show, Chris Craddock and um, Mark Mirror had him as in this great nod to Judge Dredd in um, Tiny oh, Plastic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he he was awesome in that. And uh, the one thing that I grew up watching him in was Thick of the Night, when he, which he hosted on Late right. Night. Thick of the Night, the TV uh, talk show where they had awesome artists like Frank Zappa showed up in that and all kinds of just good music that was one thing was he was totally a musical guy as well you know and he has his son robin carried that on uh too but it's just you don't realize until they're gone just how much they've touched parts of your life and of course everybody knows him as the dad from growing pains as jason siever and um, like I s said on um, on my Facebook feed, I had friends that specifically said, I'm going to be Jason Seaver as a father when I grow up. That's how much of a of a figure that he was. And, and, and it's just a, you know, it's really just sad and a very big loss for a lot of people. Um, and it seemed like everybody knew him in Hollywood, too, had, had worked with him. So it's just... God, this year just needs to stop. It's almost over. <sighs> um, someone did a recreation of of the cover of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band with just the people we have lost this year in a world of entertainment, and they were able to recreate it. That's how many. This is just not right. The good news is, though, and we can look at one positive thing is that Kirk Douglas actually made it to 100 and he's still kicking. So he is Spartacus. He is Spartacus and you can't stop Spartacus, man. That guy, he's he made it to 100. So go to hell 2016. Um, so we we really, um, you know, our condolences to the, the family of Alan Thicke because, man, what a loss. That's just um, but let's go on to more happy things, uh, and one of which is this episode, we have an interview with a legend, a living legend that I never in a million years thought I would get to talk to, but I am so happy. Um, I interviewed the awesome, amazing icon that is Roger Corman, and That's that incredible. will be- It is, it's incredible. Um, Roger Corman at, uh, will be coming up later in the episode and our interview segment. And uh, it, it was for the new release, which skewers and um, holds a mirror to the insanity that is our lives now in America with what's going on. Um, Death Race 2050. Yeah, that, I can't wait to see that. That he produced. I saw it. I got to see it. And it. It, it's just as insane and ridiculous and over the top. And yet at the same time, not far-fetched enough at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it's uh, a really, 
it, it's a nice throwback. They, you know, they had that, and they did the the remake with Jason Statham, and then you had the sequels with Luke Goss. But this goes back to the roots of slapsticky, um, almost, you know, the comedic, low budget world of Roger Corman. This one truly does. So, um, I, I, you guys should check it out. It's it's kind of ridiculous. Um, how the, you know the original's a classic, mm-hmm. and looking back on it, the uh, the the commentary of that movie and the commentators of the Death Race remind me of RoboCop. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. It, you know, RoboCop it, always had the news stuff and the TV stuff you'd see on TV and news reports, and that's very reminiscent to me of the the commentators of the sport of the Death Race. You can't see my air quotes. Um, <laughs> and it's still, yeah, it's it's cheesy. The effects aren't great, but to me, the story still holds up. I could rewatch the original, and I can't wait to see the new one. Well, the new one is just, it's, it's more over the top in terms of just goofiness and, and everything. But the, the, con, the social, con, it's even more like the RoboCop stuff. And the theme with Death Race, the original, as well as this one, too, is it's almost psychic and how reality TV has just become even more and more and more important and everywhere, especially now. Um, and it's, you know, and that's some of the stuff we talk about in the interview. Um, we focus on the movie, but I do get a few questions in about some of his previous work. And, um, I really, it, the, by the way, Roger Corman's 90 and the guy is still creating and he's as sharp as a tack and it's just really inspiring. I, you know, to, for a guy like that to keep be creating still. You know, I, I, I doubt I'll be doing as well when I hit the, you know, he's like Stan Lee. There's like a breed of dude that <laughs> they just keep going and they don't stop. Um, so Roger Corman will be joining us in our interview segment later in the episode. So let's get into the Week in Geek and focus on some good things. And the one thing that I found out today that just made me giddy as a little schoolgirl is that coming, I believe, by March of next year, so only in three months, uh, there is going to be a streaming service called BritBox. And it is going to be ran by, in conjunction together, which is crazy because they're competitors, the BBC and ITV. And you're going to be able to stream a ton of different British TV including new stuff within 24 hours of airing. Now, cool. I don't yeah, I'm I am not insanely happy about this. But the the thing that um I don't think it, I don't think it's going to have is Doctor Who. Um I don't I can't confirm that. I doubt it's going to happen because they signed this thing with Amazon Prime so I don't know how quickly Amazon Prime is going to get new Doctor Who, but BBC America is going to have it. But I don't know if it's going to be edited for content um, because they edit for commercials here and over in the UK, they don't have commercials. So they're longer episodes. How do they pay for things? People pay them. It's government ran. Well, that's crazy. <laughs> But you know what? I would be willing, like I said, I've said this for years, I would be willing to give you money, BBC, if you give me the ability to watch your stuff over here. And if this lets me watch your stuff over here, then yay! Give me all your stuff and I will give you money. That's how it works. And this is great because ITV is going to be a part of it and they have really amazing things as well. So uh, it's it's crazy that they're both getting together and, and helping make this happen because they are competitive networks over there. Um, but you can go find it um, and read more about it on uh, it's Britbox.com, B-R-I-T-B-O-X.com. Sign up for their email um, alerts. You'll know when it's going. And they also are on Facebook. So 
if you are a British television fan, as am I, um, you want to subscribe to that. You'll you'll be paying for that. I have no doubt. Um, in other news, they have finally cast the lead character on Star Trek Discovery. And it's a actress on The Walking Dead currently, Sonequa <laughs> Martin-Green. Yeah, now this is where everything gets, it gets really interesting. Um, because everyone's like, well, how is she going to do both? Are they killing her? And you don't know if they're going to kill her off or not. Um, the interesting thing with her character, Sasha, is, you know, she was in with, she was an item with Abraham who just died, spoiler alert, on The, the Walking Dead. Uh, at the beginning of the season and her character doesn't really have anywhere to go so it wouldn't surprise me if they kill her off but you know amc's not going to let anyone say they're actually going to kill her off but if they're going to kill off one of the lead people it'd probably be sasha uh so anyway she's going to be a lead character on the show who i believe is a lieutenant commander on the discovery which is the ship and um it's that's great you've got an african-american female lead on the new Star Trek, which is awesome. That's very cool, if anyone ever gets to see it. Well, yeah, you're going to have to pay <laughs> for it, because it's CBS All Access, which means it's pay-per-view. At least the last time I checked that was. So um, you're going to have to pay to see it, but it'll, it'll be there, except for the pilot. The pilot, I think, is going to be aired, right. and you'll be able to watch it. Um, so... Moving on to some movie news. Of course, it's comic book movie news. Um, so it comes out that uh, Logan uh, in the new coming out March March third. I guess it's still that's the the date for it. Uh, Logan's coming out the the last last Wolverine movie. The last Hugh Jackman Wolverine movie. <laughs> it's Wolverine. He's Wolverine. Screw you. Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. I don't care. I don't care. He's, he's Wolverine. Uh, it is R-rated because Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> and um, apparently, to allow for this to happen, Hugh Jackman took a pay cut uh, to get that R-rating. So he wanted Wolverine to go out with a lot of blood and guts. And that's what you're going to get. Um, he, he, and uh, I don't, there's no word on how much of a pay cut, but he did take a pay cut to allow for that R rating. And that's kind of neat to hear. Well, we've already seen in the Red Band trailer him jabbing his claws up through someone's chin and out the top of their head. So. Yes. Yes. And also, this may not be the last time we see Hugh Jackman as Wolverine because there's a lot of talk that Ryan Reynolds is really trying to get him to show up in Deadpool. Yes. And I would be all kinds of okay with that. All kinds. What of would okay. be funny, though, considering it's Deadpool and the meta nature of it, is if he's... If he Hugh Jackman. <laughs> Deadpool as Hugh Jackman and, and Deadpool kills him or... You know, does something thinking it's Wolverine and he has a healing factor. That'd be hilarious. Hollywood. He cuts off his uh, arm. Or I'll give you all my ideas, Hollywood. Just pump that, that lemon. That's actually funny. I could totally think, what the hell, man? <laughs> he shoots him in the leg or something. That would be funny as hell. I would, I would laugh my ass off at that. That's a good idea. I think you should, you should go with that. Um, so, um, some more comic movie news, because that seems to be all there is, except for one little thing that's coming this week. Which I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what I'm, I don't know. I've, there's something I've never heard of called Rogue One that's coming out tomorrow. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It looked interesting. I don't think anybody's going to go see it. Um, Aquaman... With Jason Momoa. Give me Momoa. Momoa. Oh, yeah, I forgot about this. Patrick just, Wilson, right? That's... Yeah. Um, Patrick Wilson is actually cast again in another comic book movie, for those of us who remember Watchmen and thought it was good. Um, 
he is going to be playing Ocean Master. Orm. Orm is his given name. Ocean Master. <laughs> I, I just like saying it. Um, and if he looks anything like this picture that I saw, he's going to look badass. So that would be cool. I would be down for that. Um, but I love Patrick Wilson. He's like one of my favorite character actors around. He he always has fun in everything he's in. And he's one yeah. of those guys. <laughs> I was going to say, I've loved him since Hard Candy. And I'm not sure how much fun he had in that. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I, I, he's great. I love Patrick Wilson. I, I, actually, I actually liked him. He's one of the few Raouls, if the only Raoul that I've ever liked in A Phantom of the Opera when he played opposite Gerard Butler because he can, he actually can sing really well too. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I think it's going to, that I really am excited about Aquaman and I never in a million years thought I'd say that and about ever anything. I have always been an Aquaman fan and despite <laughs> not going with the classic look, I do like the look that Momoa has for this movie. Um, I am a fan of the classic look. If I ever can save up the money, now that I have a car payment, I will finish the Cthulhu slash Aquaman tattoo on my arm. That's see, how much I like Aquaman. I've I've always liked Aquaman, but I could never see them making something a good live action version of him. I don't know. I could never thought it could be done, but now that they went this route and got somebody like. Momoa to play him and just the way he looks and the and and the seriousness because they're not going I thought oh you know what they're going to do they're going to make it a, a joke they're going to make it a Ooh. you know a parody or something they're just going to make it stupid like they did they tried to do with Green Hornet which failed miserably um which by the way I, I heard they're making a new Green Hornet and it's not going to be a comedy um we'll see but uh I thought that was how they were going to go. No, this Aquaman is no joke. <laughs> I'm so happy. Yeah, he looks very cool. I can't complain about how he looks. At well, all. and I, I just like the stuff. Even in that, that the trailer for for uh, the Justice League movie, he he looked awesome, and he he, you know, he's uh, looks bigger than Batman, which makes sense. Because he has to be, because all he does is swim. I mean, he's in, come on, he's got to be big and bulky because he's got muscles built from that. And he's got to, and, and if you think about it, it makes sense because he's from the ocean. He has to have the ability to handle the weight and the, and the, you know, the, the, the density and all that crap, all that scientific crap. See, and that's the thing that, that people, who make fun of Aquaman always forget. Yes, he's he's his body can withstand the pressure of the depths of the ocean. He has super strength. He's pretty close to bulletproof, if not actually bulletproof. Yeah. Um, people think he's just oh he's in the water and he talks to fish. He's not always in the water. I don't know where people get that. Yeah, he doesn't have gills. I mean, well, he's got I, he's got the ability to breathe underwater, but he doesn't have to. Yeah, he's on land all the time. But uh, yeah, I'm. We'll see. DC's they're not doing too hot as far as I'm concerned. I know box office says different. I have well, high hopes for Wonder Woman. I have high hopes for Aquaman. I really hated the way they introduced the Flash in the Justice League trailer. <laughs> you're, never gonna, the you're never gonna you're never gonna be happy unless it's the one from the series no but if they do it right it doesn't have to be the one from the series but i, I hated how they i hated how they introduced him in batman v superman well, he looks in the, in like, that, that dream sequence within a dream sequence within a dream sequence yeah that was dumb and he looked like a hipster in the video that you see but in the justice league trail why is he some weird loner He's like a hacker, yeah, I guess. I don't, get, I, don't... What, I don't get what they're doing with the character of Barry Allen, essentially, I guess. I, 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 I honestly don't know. Um, 
but kind of still in the DC universe, they have announced that we are going to be getting a Gotham City Sirens movie. Uh, and David Ayers, the gentleman who directed Suicide Squad, is actually going to be directing it. So it's him and Margot Robbie are teaming back up. And that means that you're going to get a new Catwoman and a new Poison Ivy. And I, I hear, hear there's talk of a Deadshot spinoff as well. Yeah, I think that's going to probably happen. I've heard that. But th this has come down the pike that it is for real. And um, uh, I'm interesting to see uh, the, the Ge Geneva Robertson Duare, I believe, uh, is going to be writing the script. And um, I, I'm just... Uh, we'll see. As long as it's not Halle Berry as Catwoman. I'd, I'd like to see the Gotham City Sirens versus the Birds of Prey. I'm actually bummed. I, that sounds that would be great. Um, I'm actually bummed, though, because they already have Amy Adams as uh, Lois Lane. I would love to have had her as Poison Ivy. I'm not a big Amy Adams fan. She, I love, I, I love Amy Adams, but oh god, that the Arrival movie sucks so bad. <laughs> oh my god! I don't, I don't dislike her. I just don't. She's just in that neutral area, and I wasn't impressed. I didn't hate her Lois Lane, but I wasn't impressed with it. I don't know. She's no, they, 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 they kind of wasted her in that. I, if you want to see her, um, I, I loved her in Enchanted. If you I haven't like seen... her in Talladega Nights. Oh, that too. Have you seen Enchanted, though? No. Uh, I, that's what it's called, right? Enchanted? I have to look up yeah, something now. Yeah, that's the one with Patrick Dempsey. And... Yeah. No, yeah. if you haven't seen it, you need, to you'll, you need to watch it. Because if you love, even if you don't like Disney movies, it's such a tongue-in-cheek film about Dis the, the, you know, the usual Disney musical stuff. And she's so perfect that you will be like, oh, my God, she's 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 awesome. You'll you'll fall in love with her in that because she's just so real as a Disney princess. It's so cute and fun and good movie. And, and it has Cyclops in it. <laughs> I do like James Marston. He's great. He's the prince. And he is he's just he's it's so good um so the golden globe nominations came out and there was some surprises especially for those of us who are genre fans and love our deadpool because ryan reynolds got nominated for best actor in a comedy hell yeah and deadpool got nominated for best comedy or musical or musical <laughs> true um but there's also for musical personally <laughs> but but there's it's what's really funny and awesome is the fact that the best television series drama category three of the five are genre shows you have the crown this is us followed by westworld stranger things and game of thrones i was gonna guess all three from hbo but i forgot about stranger things yeah I, well and it may win. It may win. Who knows? Um, there's also, let's see here. Uh, speaking of Amy Adams, she actually got nominated for Best Actress in a Motion Picture Drama with The Arrival, which, <laughs> God, I hated that movie so much. Um, but it's really interesting to see how it's kind of taken over. Like, um, Best Actress TV Series, I think she should win, is... Uh, the lead actress, oh, God, I'm blanking on her name now. How, how do I do this? Uh, Evan Rachel Wood. She, I was like, three words. Evan Rachel Wood is nominated for Westworld. And she's going up against Winona Ryder in Stranger Things. Um, if Jimmy Simpson doesn't win some sort of award, I don't. I don't believe he got nominated. I don't care. He still needs to win. I don't think he got nominated, dude. He should be nominated for everything. That's how good he is. <laughs> best actor, best actress, best screenplay. Jimmy <laughs> Simpson wins it all. Now, I would tell you who I think should win. Um, they have her as supporting actress is Sandy Newton for Westworld because she freaking ruled it. She ruled that show. 
So I, um, I am all team Thandi Newton. She is amazing. And you still haven't watched it yet, Eric. So you don't know. You don't know. But you want to know something I find. What year did Zootopia come out? Wasn't Zootopia this year? Was it? It seems like it was so long ago. Um, it's nominated. I, so. I think it was this year. Wow. Because it's. Ah, I guess it was. Man. Uh, Zootopia is nominated for Best Picture, Motion Picture Animated. And it's, it's interesting because you've got two Disney movies going head to head with Moana and Zootopia. And then you've got Kubo and the Two Strings in there. And then this one called My Life is a Zucchini and another one called Sing. Um, but Moana and Zootopia are going head to head. I'm guessing those two are going to fight it out, even though Kubo um, is Kubo pretty... looked amazing. I really wanted to see that. It's out on DVD now. It is out. Uh, so there's a... money. <laughs> You're talking about what? But how many books? How much do you spend on books, Eric? How much do you spend on books? Enough that I can't afford to buy every movie to come back. <laughs> Rest my case. <laughs> um, so uh, the other one, of course, that I'm really happy to see nominated was The Night Manager with Hugh Laurie, basically Jessica Porn. It had Hugh Laurie and uh, Tom Hiddleston in it. Thomas. And Thomas Hiddleston. <laughs> Thomas Hiddleston. You got free Taylor Swift. Um so I'm really excited about that because it really shows that Hiddleston should be James Bond, that movie, series, miniseries, miniseries should. And if you want to watch it, I believe it is on Amazon Prime for streaming right now. Um, so you should go check it out. It's really good. And Hugh Laurie plays a really good bad guy. It's a freaking great, great show. Uh, so because I have very little series right now, Eric and I both, our shows have, are in that lovely, we're waiting until January or February to come back bubble. They're on Christmas vacation. Yep. Um, I will talk briefly about The Walking Dead and then Eric has some info about a book coming out. Oh, or... you'll be just as surprised as everyone else. Go oh, okay. Talk about your Walking Dead. <laughs> I'm the only one that watches The Walking Dead on our show, uh, and I I um, did not write a review about the the new episode, um, the the mid season finale. Uh, I don't think anybody was really surprised by what happened. I was surprised Judith didn't die, but um, that doesn't mean that not some someone didn't die. We actually had a couple of deaths. One was of course Spencer, who went out just like he did in the comic book, which was great so happy no one likes spencer he was a prick and um it's really interesting because a lot of people are now like going team negan because of what spencer was trying to do and negan killing him over it and that was um he came to negan basically trying to get negan to kill off rick and let spencer be in charge because spencer was butthurt over all the bad things that happened um and negan called him out on it by Looking at him asking, why, why aren't you doing this? Why are you having coming to me when Rick isn't here? And why aren't you killing him if you want him dead so bad? And so Negan slices his guts open and lets him fall out on the concrete and goes, oh, yeah, you do have guts. They were in you all along. And it's a great scene. And everybody was happy because Spencer sucked. Well, now I'm hungry. <laughs> you, should, you should see the episode. Uh, so... Negan is awesome. We already knew that. Um, we finally got Daryl is free and actually spoke um, this episode. Jesus set Daryl free. Jesus saves once again. <laughs> and uh, Daryl beats the crap, this guy to death. Fat Joe is the guy's name and beats him to death. Fat Joe did nothing wrong to Daryl, really. Fat Joe was a nice dude from everything we saw, and uh, Daryl beats him to death. So Daryl's Daryl's went a little rough again. Daryl's a little broken. Mm-hmm. Daryl's a little broken. Daryl gets back to everybody, and everybody's reunited. Maggie wears a hat that looks sort of like Glenn's, but isn't. Uh, when Rick gets back to town, and suddenly I'm a hick again. Wow, my, my accent came back for a minute. 
uh, Negan's fault. <laughs> when Rick gets back to town, to Alexandria, um, they discover, you know, you know, Spencer laying there dead. And Rosita, which we knew this was a bad idea, tries to use the bullet that was made for her by Eugene. And, in, and she's only, she's not even five feet from Negan. She could have shot him anywhere. And somehow she hits Lucille, the bat, and not Negan with the bullet, which just makes Negan pissed. And thanks to her dumb ass, Negan's like, well, somebody's going to die. So she, he asks his gal, a rat, to pick somebody. And so she shoots Olivia, the gal that was looking after the store of t the town. So Olivia's dead. She dies a different way in the comics. And uh, Spencer died exactly like he did in the comics. So we had two people die. One of them due to Rosita, and now Negan knows that they have the ability to make bullets, so they take Eugene hostage. And meanwhile, there's some weird person in boots spying on everybody. And uh, we think it might be one of the Whisperers, which, Eric, if you haven't read the comic or don't know who the Whisperers are, uh, the Whisperers are another group who are even more dangerous than Negan and his gang. Because they are able to walk amongst the dead because they wear the skin of the dead as camouflage and they whisper. That's how they talk So it's and communicate to each other so they don't call attention to themselves while they're walking amongst the zombies slash walkers. And uh, they're really creepy because they go. So it's really, really creepy. So we don't know if that's who that is or not. We just see boots. Um, but it, it does stand to be called out that in the preview for, you know, once it starts back up again in February, the one of the last shots is Rick in the foreground and the background. You see this, it looks like a zombie, but it's got spikes coming out of it and all kinds of weird crap and looks like it's been impaled and it almost looks like something from from um a silent hill but it's the walking dead and so we're all trying to figure out what the hell it is they're gonna so cross it, over with silent hill god that'd be awesome but i think it's i think everybody's like i we think it's a whisper and some sort of crazy walker armor thing that they're wearing but we don't know it's very brief and doesn't have a lot of detail because it's still kind of blur in the background. But that's what happened on The Walking Dead. And it was actually a good episode because it was a multiple storyline episode. Um, we still didn't get no Ezekiel. And I realized why we didn't have an Ezekiel most of this season so far. And that's because he is doing the new 24 spinoff. Uh which makes me sad, but means that maybe Sonequa Martin-Green doesn't die, but who knows? We'll see. Um, Eric, what's your book? All right. Well, if you're like me and you get really, really depressed when all your shows go on hiatus, <laughs> it just, why is life even worth living if you can't watch your favorite shows? Um, well, there's a new book out. It came out about two weeks ago, and it's called The Flash, The Haunting of Barry Allen. I thought of you when I saw this at yes, the store. <laughs> it's by Clay Griffith and Susan Griffith, and it is from Titan Books, and I just finished reading it yesterday. Um, um, and it's pretty good. It's, I'd say if you want to compare it to the TV show, it falls around a, a mid-level episode of the show. Um, and it takes place during season two. At first, I thought it was like right at the beginning of season two because Iris knows that Barry's the Flash. Um, and they talk about the wormhole that they created at the end of season one. But that's all they talk about. So I thought it was all right. It's very close to the beginning. But then they mention Zoom like much later in the book. Zoom comes up 
So it's got to be at least a few episodes in where this story takes place. But it's a crossover with Arrow and uh, Barry's flash powers are glitching and he's seeing visions of uh, dead people. And there are uh, there's a group of rogues that are terrorizing the city and Barry's getting worn out. So they call in Arrow and Felicity and Diggle come with Arrow to Central City and they all team up. And uh, it's going to continue in an Arrow novel that comes out early next year. Um, oh, they made a crossover out of it. <laughs> yeah. So March, March 2017 is the... Uh, release date for the arrow book and it's pretty thick for a media tie-in it's over 400 pages and i've read quite a few media tie-ins for different shows and things and they're usually uh, average 250 to 300 pages at most so this is a pretty good sized book you know it's no stephen king novel (laughs) size wise Um, i hear you flipping through it (laughs) i am i'm flipping um (laughs) I thought it was fun. Like I said, it's it's not, if I'm going to compare it to the show, it's not like the best episodes of the show, but it's certainly not like the worst. Um, it started a little slow. No pun intended there. <laughs> Flash. Wow. Uh, but I started to get into it. And once, you know, I, I like the, I like name dropping in books like this um, where they're throwing out different characters, just even if they're just referencing them. It's like, oh yeah, I know that from the show. And, uh, once Arrow shows up, I love the dynamic between the characters. There's a great moment between Diggle and Joe West. Uh, there are a number of good moments between Arrow and Flash. And, of course, whenever Felicity and Cisco and Caitlin get together, it's a lot of fun. Um, so I, if, if, if you're going through withdrawal like I am, because your CW superhero shows are not on again until January, pick up, uh, pick up this book. It's just a little paperback. It's eight bucks. 400 pages. It's a fast read. Um, no pun intended. No pun intended. It only <laughs> took, I got through in about three days, I think. And that's with working full time and everything else I do. Um, so, yes, I recommend it. The Flash, The Haunting of Barry Allen. They um, they did good timing with releasing of that because it feeds that, that, you know, empty space, like you said. Exactly. They, <laughs> they know, they know more. They know their audience. <laughs> Give me some Lucifer novels. Oh my God, yes, please. Oh please, yes. First season, Lucifer, please. First season, please. Um. So with that, let's go to our interview segment with the legendary Roger Corman. I'm so excited. It's a brief interview, but it was a great interview, and I'm very happy to have gotten to talk to the guy. And you, you'll hear me gush because <laughs> I mean, it's Roger Corman. How could you not? I'm seriously, have you seen the man's IMDb? <laughs> Do you know the things he's done? Do you know the people he's worked with? <laughs> Holy God. So with that, um, I want to thank you guys. Next week is Christmas week. Um, we may or may not be recording. It depends on all the crazy that is happening. Um, but if we don't, I want to wish you guys a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holiday and be safe have a fun one and enjoy it with your family um we hopefully will be recording though but it's always tricky on a holiday week so we'll see um but if i don't talk to you before eric yeah merry christmas happy holidays happy holidays and we will see you possibly next week on fangirl radio and with that here comes the legend that i never got to think i never thought i'd ever ever get to talk to Mr. Roger Corman to talk about Death Race 2050. Man is 90 years old and is still making movies. And they're good. Woo-hoo. Ah! All right, guys. Thank you for listening. And here comes Roger Corman. Good night. Bye-bye. Hi, Roger. How are you? Very good, Jessica. Oh, it is a, an absolute honor for me to talk to you, sir. I just, I, I, I mean, you basically like were one of the building blocks of my childhood. So I just had to get that out there. And I, I got a little nervous. I'm like, oh, I'm talking to Roger Corman. This is, this is a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can blame part of it on me. <laughs> 
Well, I, I know I don't have you for very long, and I wanted to, um, I have a, a few questions. I actually have a couple of fan questions. I told people I was going to be talking to you, so they submitted a couple to um, ask you. But first off, I, I have to find out, Death Race 2050 is so timely and perfect for the insanity that our world has just gone into right now. Um, did you know time-wise how how timely and perfect it would be when you were uh, producing this and getting it made? Well, I was trying to make it timely. Uh, the original Death Race 2000, which I made in the 1970s, was an attempt to reflect the culture of that day as projected forward. And on this one, I took the, uh, the same theme, the same ideas, and tried to project the culture of today forward into uh, 2050. For instance, uh, uh, I changed the I changed the name of the United States. <laughs> the United States of America became becomes the United Corporations of America, and the president is now the chairman. <laughs> now that that much was planned and. I worked out a whole lot of what I thought of certain elements of today's culture, and then as a joke, at the last minute, we made the chairman a Donald Trump-like character with the hairdo and everything. It was early in the election cycle, and we never dreamed that he would be president, uh, but we thought he would be an interesting character to pattern the chairman after. So I may well have the first Donald Trump as president <laughs> if you're out there. Well, even Dead Perfectus kind of gave me a Trump vibe, like a young Donald Trump even. And I was, I was like laughing, but at the same time, oh, my God, this is our new reality. What do I do with this? <laughs> well, what I was trying to do was take certain aspects of the life around us and um, what's going on. Jed Perfectus is the perfect, he's one of the racers, um, he's the perfect man. He's been uh, genetically engineered, and genetic engineering of DNA is going on at the moment. My favorite, actually, is Tammy the Terrorist. Oh my God, she's best. I, <laughs> I figured uh, we had to have a terrorist in there somewhere, and out of the blue, the name Tammy the Terrorist came to me, and... I then tried to figure out what is her background, so I made her uh, the head of a terrorist pop culture church with saints like uh, St. Elvis Presley and so forth, and uh, I thought Tammy was great. Well, and she was very, she just reminded me so much of like the Westboro sect as well. I mean, it, it's such a great meshing because it really, it just spot on on that, and I, I thought that was fantastic, so well done. <laughs> Well, I was trying to make these statements, but um, with humor. This is a car racing picture with comedy and uh, a little bit of a social statement underneath. Exactly. Well, and the the one thing, like I, I, I was looking, because I've seen all the Death Race movies, um, there was already, you know, the, the, the remake and the sequels to that. But this really does, like you said, it seems to hearken a lot more back to the original in terms of really getting into that social commentary and and being able to talk about that stuff and mock it, say, you know, in a way that people, you know, it's kind of a safe zone with horror and sci-fi and those genre picks like that. You can get away with that kind of a thing and kind of slide it under there and people don't. They don't. They kind of. They don't really think about it. But you know, we know. We know the people that know know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, well, that was the idea to uh, to make these statements, but to really make them beneath the surface. So you come to see a futuristic fast car racing picture. Then you see the humor. I all. I've always loved uh, the idea of getting points for killing pedestrians <laughs> with your car. Uh, I don't know if there's any social significance in that, but I just thought it was a good idea. Oh, depending on if you live where I do, sometimes you really think about it. 
<laughs> and other cars too. So um, one thing I wanted to ask you about was working with uh, GJ Hector, and I'm, I hope I'm trying to get his name right, Hector Knapp, um, on this, yeah. Hector Knapp, which is a great name. Yeah. Um, how was it working with him? Because he sort of became a, another, he's sort of like you, he's a master of everything in, in terms of like editing and producing and directing. Um, how was it to um, work with him and also writing on this project? Um, we, uh, we got along very well. He's a very talented young director. He had directed a previous action picture for me on a, a lower budget. I thought he would be very good for this one. And he turned out to do a very good job. He handled the car racing, the action, and so forth very well. And he got along very well with the actors and worked well with the idea of the comedy with a little meaning behind the comedy. Gotcha. Well, and, and one thing, too, about this project is, does it surprise you at how endearing and, and almost psychic in a lot of ways Death Race has been? Because, you know, it, we've become this reality TV, you know, life, basically. I mean, especially right now, it's really hitting home. Um, does it, did it surprise you that this has become sort of psychic? It does, it does surprise me. I was playing around in the 1970s with these ideas of what was happening then. Uh, this was uh, uh, just after the Vietnam War. There was a great deal of turmoil still in the country. And I sort of said, what will happen by the year 2000 and projected that forward? And the same thing, a similar thing is happening now. Uh, with the rise of terrorism, for instance, that's giving us Tammy the terrorist, with an unstable society, with a society that has a few rich people at the top, and then the underclass, the working class, we have a tendency towards that now. And I just push that forward to an extreme, as it were, in 2050. Exactly. Yeah, and and it's it's really kind of scary right now for everybody. So, it's good to have a laugh about it if we can. We almost have to laugh about it. Which, thank yes, you. Either laugh or cry. I prefer yeah. to laugh. Yeah, exactly. I would prefer to laugh as well. So, kind of leading from that, one thing I wanted to talk to because you've worked in this industry for so long and and with so many amazing people, and you've done such a variety of of film genres. What are your thoughts on the sci-fi and horror genres now? And do you think it is, you know, to me, I always think that it's like one of the best genres is sci-fi and horror for freedom to tell subversive and rebellious, rebellious stories and commentary on, on things like this. That's true. Science fiction in particular gives you an opportunity to make statements that you might not want to make in reality. For instance, uh, I happen to know because I bought a couple of their science fiction films and uh, released them in the United States. Uh, in Soviet Russia, science fiction was a very big and important part of their motion picture business because the filmmakers were able to make statements under the guise of science fiction that they wouldn't have been able to make uh, if they were telling a, a straightforward story of what was actually going on. It, it, yeah, and, and that's one thing, too. Like, um, I always go back to Rod Serling in in terms of what he, got, he did with The Twilight Zone. And I think it's something, you know, it's pretty amazing the things that you've, you've talked about in your films as well. And uh, it, it, you, you guise it as that, and people don't, it, it gets into their brain somehow, but they don't realize it's gotten in, which I like. Exactly. My, my, my feeling is you have to remember uh, that this is an entertainment. So you must entertain the audience, and then under the entertainment, let uh, your thoughts come through for those who wish to pick up on them. Some people may forget it. That's okay. They can enjoy the car racing. Yeah, exactly. So one thing I, I wanted to talk to you about, too, was as a lifelong fan of yours, I've already, I've already gushed a little bit, but I'm going to gush a little bit more. 
I uh, I wanted to thank you for your Edgar Allan Poe films and the gift that you gave us of Vincent Price. And um, I I wanted to know personally, do you have any period horror films possibly on the horizon that you'd be working on? Because it seems like that's co- making a comeback thanks to the um, like uh, Guillermo del Toro's work with Crimson Peak and there's some others. I would absolutely love another Roger Corman period horror film. I am thinking yeah. I'm, I'm in the midst of writing a treatment. Um, it takes place in uh, in Santa Fe, New Mexico, Ooh. because uh, I've always it's a beautiful town, and we have the old adobe churches. And I was uh, I'm trying to put together something of a horror film which has a little religious overtone of Catholicism with the churches there in the old religion of the Hopi uh, Indians. And weirdly enough, I'm in the midst of writing this, and I had lunch on Saturday with the head of a film festival in Mexico City that's going to take place during the Day of the Dead. And he was telling me all about the Day of the Dead and the old... uh, Aztec uh, religions, and I thought maybe I should move this thing to Mexico City. <laughs> oh wow! I can't wait. Um, so, uh, that makes me very, very happy. And uh, so, um, really quickly, well, my my final question for you is is because, like I said, I I love your horror films. I loved all your work, and the biggest gift you've ever given me was Vincent Price. He's like an idol of mine. I just absolutely loved Vincent. Um, well, who would you consider to it these days the modern equivalent of a Vincent Price? Who who do you think could even fill those shoes? Well, I'm pausing because I'm trying to think of a modern day equivalent, and I don't really see anybody. Vincent had that cultivated, intelligent, but somewhat neurotic quality, <laughs> and uh, I'm. It doesn't come to me for the moment. Gotcha. Well, I, I, Mr. Corman, thank you so much. I, this has been a joy for me to, to actually get to talk to you. And I agree. I don't think anybody could fill his shoes and uh, neither yours either, because you, you, you've created a body of work. that's just amazing. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for all of it, because it helped me grow up and I grew up right. <laughs> Okay, thank you very much, Jessica. Thank you, Roger. Bye-bye.